Wait, I thought the Jigsaw Killer was dead. Yeah, but if it's another copycat... Spiral is the newest film in the Saw franchise. Spiral is a reboot of the Saw franchise, but this time it's with Chris Rock. Spiral is a reboot of the Saw franchise, but this time with significantly more thumb drives. Oh, we don't. Don't want to fuck up my computer. Spiral is a reboot that proves that technology makes horror movies better. Is this a misprint, Dave? I'm not sure if I'm reading that right. No, Jonah, this is Galaxy Brains, and today the games are just beginning. Mind games, that is. <laughs> Excuse me. Ooh. It's gonna be a shit show. Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive at the blessed state of the galaxy brain. This week, we're discussing Spiral from the Book of Saw with New York Times technology writer and horror movie superfan Taylor Lorenz. But before we binge on the intoxicating spirit of overthinking, we have to give ourselves a thick, hearty base of intellectual carbs in a segment we call Logic Brain. Are you hungry? Mm, yeah, I could eat. Let me answer this question right off the bat for you. No, you don't need to have read the Book of Saw to understand Spiral. Dave, Dave, the Book of Saw is just a figure of speech. There's no actual Book of Saw. False advertising. The only thing I hate more than false advertising is spoilers. So if you haven't seen Spiral from the Book of Saw, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, then come back after you've seen the movie that is definitely not based on a book called The Book of Saw. This is the first Saw movie since 2017. The franchise seemed pretty finished until Chris Rock came aboard and convinced Lionsgate to reboot the series with him as the lead. Rock plays Zeke, a police officer whose moral compass puts him at odds with his fellow officers who are happy to turn a blind eye when their colleagues break bad. Zeke's father is a former chief of police and is just as ethically compromised as everyone else around Zeke. A series of murders connected to Zeke's past trap him and his young partner, played by Max Minghella, in a deadly cat and mouse game that could drive them both to the brink of madness. Mm, a series of crooked characters who really need to be hooked up to a Rube Goldberg machine that rips their toenails off? Sounds like a job for Jigsaw. But Dave, isn't Jigsaw dead? He sure is, Jonah. So Spiral introduces yet another Jigsaw copycat killer to carry out the franchise's signature gruesome vigilante justice. Okay, this all sounds like a very interesting premise, but... The most important part of a Saw movie, Dave, is it gross? Oh, Jonah, 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 sweet little Jonah. It's so gross. Hooray! It's the grossest thing you've ever seen. Wee! The movie starts with a severed tongue and goes downhill from there. Wow! I know, a tongue, you say. But if we're going to unpack the fetid torture porn of Spiral, we're going to need to open our eyes clockwork orange style and really focus. Let's get into a little of the old ultraviolence and move on to critical brain. Sure thing, me droog. Right then, governor. Jonah, we have established Jigsaw is dead. There is no Jigsaw in this Saw movie. It is called Spiral, after all. 
But this is not the spiral killer necessarily. This is a guy who wears a pig mask. Are we going to call this guy pig face? Is that the name of this killer? No, no, we're not. It's not like everything Jigsaw used was a piece of a puzzle. We can just still keep on calling him Jigsaw. So you think this guy is also a Jigsaw? He's just Jigsaw Jr. We And we don't know if we've been able to track every single Jigsaw killer. I mean, think about all the times there's probably been a Jigsaw killer copycat, and he's putting together his big you know, Rube Goldberg killing machine, and then it uh, somehow... Uh, breaks and then he gets killed. Think about how many accidents have saved us from Jigsaw copycat killers, Dave. Yeah, it's just like you're not really good at building the machine and then it like slaps back in your face and cuts your head off. Exactly. It's like it's a very good uh, like cut slide moment where it's like maybe you get sliced in half and you have enough time before your body slides in half to go, oh boy. Oh, I've been hoisted by my own petard yet again. Yes, exactly. That's, that's That was actually the original Jigsaw was the guy who came up with that term. Well, I guess I was the bad guy and I had to learn the lesson and then you die. That Jigsaw person is like looking in a mirror going, Hello, me. You've, <laughs> <laughs> you've been hoisted by your own petard. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the plot of this movie real quick. Uh, it starts off, it feels like Chris Rock is doing... Beverly Hills Cop cosplay. Did you get that impression that he was just like, I want to play a cop real bad. I want him to be on the edge. I want him to be funny. And uh, then later we'll do the jigsaw stuff. But first, like for the first 30 minutes, I just want to be Axel Foley. I think the first part of this movie is the best Chris Rock comedy special that's ever been made in like in the past 10 years. I was laughing out loud as if he was doing a set. It's Chris Rock. People are still going to want to see Chris Rock be funny. Yeah, it feels like he wrote stand-up for these particular moments in the movie. I'm sure whatever dialogue he had, he just kind of threw in the garbage and said, I got this. This is probably the only Saw movie that has like a star. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the first Saw movie has Carrie Elway's? <laughs> Okay, fair enough. You're right. You got me there. He, Princess Brides, Carrie Elways, great actor. Yes, exactly. The crushes, Carrie Elways. But sadly, not on the poster. This is a clear uh, Chris Rock vehicle. And I think when you turn on a Saw film, you're kind of just expecting to be lost in the moment. And you're not approaching it the way that you would approach a typical Hollywood movie. You're going there for the contraptions, the, the gruesome, gross deaths. Chris Rock really tries in this movie to make Zeke a character that you relate to. And I think that's that's kind of rare for these movies, especially, you know, considering this is movie number eight. <laughs> yeah, to have that this far into the, the franchise is, I think it's an amazing idea. My mind starts spinning going, maybe this can happen more. Maybe some superstar could go, you know what I want to do? A Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, and then I, I want you to bring back Robert England and then I'm going to be like a guy that was a little kid when that lived in Elm Street. This idea that, that we can kind of make these things character pieces. There's something about the excitement of the new Halloween movies because Jamie Lee Curtis is back. Yeah. And going out and getting David Gordon Green and having Danny McBride co-writing the script, like to be able to get filmmakers of that caliber to make a movie like that, to resurrect a franchise that Quite frankly, the last few Halloween movies were pretty janky, like not great. And then to like dust it off and turn it into a prestige vehicle is kind of what's happening here with Spiral. The cast is pretty fantastic. Samuel L. Jackson plays Chris Rock's father. Pull a gun on your old man? You out of your mind? I could have killed you. What are you talking about? I got the gun. I could have killed you. 
he doesn't have a ton to do in the movie, but when he's in the movie and they're playing off of each other, it's some of the best stuff in the entire film. And then, of course, he has a an incredibly uh, memorable death scene at the end of the movie. What did you think about Samuel L. Jackson being turned into a puppet? Oh, I, I love the idea of the marionette death. Also, it's just the idea that Jigsaw in itself was a uh, kind of a marionette puppet. I was just like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, there's... That's like why I watched those saw movies. And then you have that fun idea of like one guy did this or he had people help him and then killed them. But that is in service of a story that has a ton of relevance today. And it's about police corruption and police taking things too far. That is the whole gist of this movie. And I think that was very brave of them to do that. This was, of course, shot before the George Floyd protests and all of that stuff. But it has that cultural relevance that Saw's never really had. Uh, and it makes a ton of sense to put Jigsaw into a world where there's a lot of people doing a lot of things like lying and using abusing their power and that kind of stuff. It's a perfect uh, milieu for Jigsaw to do his thing. All, everyone who died was like, it was a, always kind of a morality thing. But to kind of uh, go, okay, what if they were all cops and as opposed to like, you know, just these random people, that was a smart move is because you still can have, like they could be corrupt for different reasons. And it's like to be able to talk about uh, police corruption and police brutality and the thin blue line was a fantastic way of reframing something that is like originally a device to, you know, show some cool deaths in a movie. But uh, it really is a, a thing to level up. You know, it's like, this is that thing I think Joe Bob Briggs talks about where, you know, Saw is a horror movie, but Spiral it can be considered a psychological thriller. Yeah, I was going to say, like, these are these are not scary movies to me. I'm not scared by them because usually the people who are being killed in these movies deserve some sort of punishment, maybe not as extreme as, you know, attaching electrodes to their uh, nutsacks or something, but some kind of punishment makes it less like, oh, I'm really rooting for that person to escape. It's more like, how is he going to get ripped apart? What's going to happen to him? Mr. Anderson, you're always scratching your balls. Now your balls will scratch you from the inside out. <laughs> yeah, th these are not these are not scary movies. They're gross movies, and the psychological thriller aspect and the morality play like are maybe the most important elements of the film. And they certainly amp that up with this one, where it does feel like seven. It does feel like Training Day on a certain level. The partner ends up being the bad guy. Max Minghella ends up being Jigsaw or pig face or whatever you want to call him. And he did great. He was also, that was, a, I thought, a great performance. Very natural and very funny. Going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Chris Rock, where he is essentially just, like, very, very believably evil. Yeah. And, you know, justifiably so on some level. Again, these movies are about morality, but they're also about the gray areas of morality. You understand this kid being super anti-police because he watched his, his father get executed in front of him, you know? So, of course, like, there's going to be some trauma there. So we're kind of, like, on his side, uh, but also, like, dude, you, I think he maybe went too far. I think maybe the, like, building of the of the machines that uh, cut people up, not, not cool, dude. What's he going to do? Like, become a city councilman <laughs> trapped in the system? Yeah, don't be like Harvey Dent. Be like the Joker. That is what this movie is telling you. Yeah. You know what you need? A big blower that's going to shoot glass at somebody and rip them up. <laughs> that is one of the most important parts of the Saw franchise, which is the devices. The devices are the stars as much as the actors are. And they are increasingly more elaborate. Every movie, they become more complicated. How important do you think tech is to these movies? It's not like they're supercomputers. You know, these are all very much 
of the, like, as we've said, the Rube Goldberg aesthetic. But it's, like you said, 20th century kind of like old school technology. It's always these devices that seem industrial in some way. Like we're always in abandoned factories or you know, abandoned warehouses or something. It's like the detritus of the 20th century is is scary. But in this movie, there's a lot of like acknowledgement of modern technology. There's a thumb drive that's important. Like <laughs> Jigsaw Pigface delivers all of his messages via thumb drive. Could have used WeTransfer maybe. That's how we uh, deliver our files for this podcast. But no, he's got to do physical media. Yeah, well, it's, it's so it can't be tracked. I have to go to Best Buy to get my thumb drives. There's a sale. I cannot use Amazon. I'll have to first buy a gift card from Safeway. After I go to the grocery store, I will go to the Best Buy. Oh, looks like there's a fries that's closing up. There will be a sale. <laughs> Everything must go. It's just updating it. It's no different than if it was 15 years ago, it would have been like, hey, there's someone delivered a CD-ROM. If it was a few years before that, someone delivered a video cassette. Watch it. Horror always has to catch up to technology, and it always has to adapt to whatever the new thing is. The first victim of Jigsaw in this movie is wearing a Fitbit, and of course they can track his movements with the Fitbit. There are surveillance cameras all over the city and in the police department in this movie. There's like ways to track the killer that somehow the killer like just knows how to cut pieces out of a surveillance camera. He knows uh, Final Cut. Uh, he knows how to edit. He knows Adobe Premiere, all this whatever. He's a great puppeteer. He's also a great puppeteer. He can do it all. This guy's a five-tool player, as we say in baseball. But this is this is not uncommon. Scream, of course, was one of the first horror movies to really make good use of the cordless phone so that Drew Barrymore could just wander around her house while the ghost face killer was on a cell phone, presumably. These are just things that are kind of natural, right? I think there's a lot of talk online on horror Twitter every once in a while where, you know, people will uh, get into the arguments like, do cell phones ruin horror movies? Like, you know, you have to have that moment in a movie. It's like, there's no signal. Or my battery's dead if, like, you want to try and get back to an almost retro feeling of what it was like uh, in the before four times of technology. The, the 90s horror that embraced technology to too much of a degree, where you, then you had uh, movies like Ghost in the Machine or Shocker or Lawnmower Man, people that didn't necessarily understand the tech. Like, you know, in Ghost in the Machine, the guy uploads his, uh, as a serial killer, uploads his personality or his his being into the computer uh, and essentially an early form of the internet. But then also because of that is able to travel through electrical wires and phone lines and then also going into electronics. So, uh, when you do it too early and too fast and make it too reliant on it, it will ruin it. You know, like Lawnmower Man, what a dumb idea of what we thought uh, virtual reality would be. I'm sorry, Jonah. That movie scared the shit out of me. All right. The idea of being inside a computer, very scary, very scary to me. And I think technology actually more often than not makes horror movies better because these are completely unknowable devices, things I can't understand. Yeah, but I'm sorry, but every time a new technological advancement occurs, horror loses just a tiny little bit of its pitch black heart. Oh, you don't think computers are scary? No, I actually think computers are super scary. <laughs> I've seen Superman 3. Then you should understand my point. For most people, modern technology is totally unknowable and completely alien to them. Do you have a clue how your iPhone works? Yes, of course. <laughs> it's a swarm of tiny genetically manipulated hyperintelligent bees that do high-level math equations. Not 
quite. But that's my point. Technology is a total mystery to us. But I'm close. You're in the ballpark. Just the bees part. Technology is a mystery to us, though, Jonah. Horror movies are about invasion of personal space. Ghost hauntings, alien intruders, monsters from another dimension, monsters from our own dimension. We are the monsters the whole time. We're just a random crazy person in a hockey mess chopping up teenagers. Smartphones and social media are tools that have flattened everything and removed most of our privacy. So, Jonah, as Quato would say... Open your mind. Horror movies have been incorporating technology for decades and they still have the capacity to scare us. David Cronenberg's Videodrome is a great example of a film that grapples with the technology of its day and makes a horrifying vision feel very real. Look at Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. It's as scary as any of his father's films and it's explicitly about technology. Jonah, let me remind you about the Shudder original host which was specifically about what's happening right now. It was shot during the pandemic all over Zoom. And in my opinion, the scariest thing that's come out in decades. Terrifying movie. And that's all about technology. So much of modern horror is about incorporating social media and the internet to really chilling effect. Hell, Jonah, what's scarier than knowing you could destroy your entire life with just one tweet? Technology makes Horror movies better. Dave, Dave, Dave. Your chest is pulsating. Open up your shirt. What's going on under your chest? Oh, is it a VHS tape? Is it? Oh. No, it's a copy of the Book of Saw. I told you it was real. Long live the new flesh. When Dave is done turning into a giant bucket of human goo shaped like a TV, we'll be joined by New York Times tech reporter Taylor Lorenz to talk about the state of horror films. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains! We finished traversing the outermost regions of our twisted subconscious, and now it's time to road test our weird-ass theories. A lot of people would say cell phones, social media, and the surveillance state have ruined the tension of horror movies like Spiral. But I say nay, false! To prove or disprove my take, we've turned to New York Times technology reporter and horror film lover Taylor Lorenz. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Taylor, you are really uniquely qualified to talk about the dangers and the, the scary stuff that happens on the internet because you've been harassed multiple times by you know Tucker Carlson and other media figures and then just normal people like doxing you and trying to uh, upset you and, and like really ruin your real life because of something that happened on the internet. Is that experience as scary as it seems? Yeah, I mean, it's horrifying. It's very scary. You feel really unsafe, especially when they, you know, are doxing you and, and tweeting pictures of your family members or your house on Google Street View or sending you pizzas, things like that. It feels very present and scary and real. People have sent you pizzas. I just want to clarify that that is a thing that has happened to you. Yeah, they do that. Not at my current address because they don't know it, but my old address. Yeah, they were doing that. That's crazy. That's an old school kind of prank. I mean, literally, I, I heard some. there was a group of kids in my neighborhood. My neighbor's trying to get a kid to come out and fight. And then the mom told him to get out of here. And like she's like, get out of here. And then one kid is like, expect a bunch of pizzas tonight. It kind of gives you a mindset of the type of people who do this kind of shit. I mean, 
I'm vegan, so I don't even eat pizza, but <laughs> if they were a real troll, they would really know everything about me and they would know that I'm vegan. Yeah. <laughs> jo- Jonah is also vegan, so I think, you know, when this is over, he can give you some tips about the best vegan pizzas in L.A. I'm going to start us off here with the big question of the week. Will a horror film ever be able to create the same fear in you or in any of us as a troll assaulting my DMs? Or is doxing now more frightening than anything in a Saw movie? No, I think that horror movies will be able to sort of recreate that fear. I just think none have yet. What elements go into making a great horror film, to your estimation? If they can't approach the real fear of being exposed on the internet, what can they do? What pieces go into a great horror film? I mean, I think good horror taps into kind of existential fears. I mean, sometimes you just watch a good slasher film and it's just about your fear of death, right? Like it's somebody running, it's somebody getting chopped up into pieces. But I think like a good film taps into something like an anxiety that you've always had or the way that you feel about something. That can be kind of subtle fears around your gender or your race or things like that, or just more standard fears, you know, like a a murderer or something like that. But I think a good horror movie like makes you feel that anxious way. I think a good recent example of that I think is The Invisible Man with uh, Elizabeth Moss. At first I was just like, I was like, oh, we already revealed that this guy makes invisible suits. Why is this scary? But then you realize it's like, it's the the dread repercussions. Like, oh, how bad is he going to like mess up, not hurt her, but mess up her life? Yeah. And it's also about gaslighting. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. You know, he's saying from beyond the grave, you are... You're out of your 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 head. You're you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. He's not alive. He can't hurt you. That gaslighting is, you know, something that people deal with all the time in relationships. And this is made very explicit in a movie about an invisible man with a with a special suit. Like that's that is that the beauty of horror is that it can tap into that stuff. Even with like Friday the Thirteenth, which you, you know we were talking about slasher movies uh, and and how base and basic they seem like they are. It's also when you go to Camp Crystal Lake, you're going away from your family, you're growing up, you're having sexual adventures, and then like, oh, you're going to get punished for doing all that. You're getting punished for growing up. So it's like a fear of of losing your youth that's kind of expressed in a, in a movie like that. The lesson is listen to when an old man yells at you, you're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's trying to help you. The one lesson I think everyone should learn from horror, which I say all the time to my friends, is like, if you're killing someone, you have to make sure they're dead. Like, you have to make sure they're dead. I think that that's what I thought was such a great detail from uh, the Zombieland movie, which is like the double tap. Just make sure that's dead, you know? Just don't go like, we got it. The supernatural force, it's fine. But some would say that modern technology has made some of the classic horror tropes obsolete. If the call comes from inside the house, you can hit a button on your nest and people will come to rescue you. You know, the police will come or whomever. What classic horror tropes do you think have been forever ruined by technology and Silicon Valley advancements? Well, my favorite types of horror like incorporates technology, like kind of like the Black Mirror type stuff. I feel like it's just advanced now. It's not like, I mean, people say a lot, like every time there's a new piece of technology or technology evolves, like, oh, horror is done. How can you be scared if, if you don't have a cell phone? Or how can you be scared if there's Wi-Fi or whatever? And I don't think it's even just about, like, taking away those things, but kind of, like, working within those realms. I was just thinking of the movie Host. Yeah, we were just talking about that, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good example of, like, 
leveraging that technology to kind of watch this horrible thing play out and also just reiterate, like, even if you're on a Zoom, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily safe or insulated from what's happening. It is true that, like, if, like, it's like, oh, the killer's calling you, like, so the killer's got a cell phone, and then all of a sudden you kind of have to go down that trip of just, like, so they got approved for the credit to get an iPhone, and then they had payment plans, so they mean they got a credit card. But at, at the same time, in Ma... I think like that's a great use of the cell phone in a horror movie of just this incessant like neediness. That's a great example of like a technology in a horror movie. It's really about finding the creative uses of it or the anxieties that are created by the technology as opposed to seeing the technology as an obstacle to avoid. It's about how do you see the technology as something fun for you to use? To prepare for this episode, you sent us maybe one of the, the most helpful documents I've ever gotten in research prior to doing one of these shows, which is a spreadsheet with like GIFs and, and floating JPEGs and all kinds of stuff uh, that lists your favorite horror movies. You have bats flying around. You have a crow walking in place. I made it creepy. I tried to make it creepy. <laughs> it's very, I, I love it so much. It looks like a haunted spreadsheet is what you, we're really looking at here. Don't steal that idea, okay? I'm going to make the movie about the haunted spreadsheet. Like looking at your list, you do have a handful of movies on here that, uh, of course, used some kind of technology at the, like Paranormal Activity. That's one where it's, you know, the, like the baby cams, uh, night vision, stuff like that. Something that could have really been done. One of the movies that's on there is one of my favorite movies of all time, and that's Videodrome. And that is a movie that is very specifically about technology of that era and the interconnectedness that is created with technology. And a lot of Cronenberg's filmography, if it's Videodrome or The Fly, uh, Crash, Existence, Scanners, is about technology being a scary thing, you know, encroaching on the natural world. What is it about those movies that has remained unsettling, even though we have zoomed far beyond the technology in a movie like Videodrome. But I think we're living in more of a Videodrome world where like our lives are ever more intertwined with technology. I think I kind of like, I'm very fascinated with movies where like technology is integrated like into your body somehow, kind of. Um, and obviously there's things like that with like robot movies and stuff. But I think like that world of Videodrome is kind of like we're we're living in more and more of that type of a world. And so that's why it's so unsettling to go back and watch now. And same thing even with like The Fly. Like I was just thinking of that recently because I was reading some story about like gene editing and splicing and, and life extension technology or something. And, you know, it just, you kind of see a lot of those like, visions of technology like being manifested more and more, I guess, as we advance more forward. And so, yeah, I feel like those old films weirdly like resonate. It's like They Live. They Live also seems so prescient when you watch it now. Sunglasses were brand new when They Live came out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of technology was influenced by movie making that people said, I want to do that thing that I saw in this movie. And so I'm going to build this. Like the iPad is very clearly inspired by a lot of the tech from Star Trek The Next Generation. Do you think that there is, what is that relationship like, I guess? Like, do you think that there is a push and pull between technology and fiction where technology is being inspired by fiction or is it the other way around? I mean, it obviously goes both ways, but I would say as somebody that's like a tech enthusiast, I think a lot of it is inspired by 
fiction. I mean, sci-fi is sort of what people think of. Like when you talk about like Star Trek, obviously 2001 was such a like, also there was all this tech there that was kind of ended up being real. But I think horror is like a better predictor of sort of the way that tech can destroy our lives. I was thinking of that Black Mirror episode about the, it was, it's called Metalhead. It's about the dogs, the robot dogs, (laughs) sort of like those Boston Dynamics ones. And one of them was, you know, released on the streets of the Bronx to kind of patrol. And I was like, oh my God, this is life imitating. Obviously Black Mirror, everyone says that. But like, I just think there's lots of ways that horror movies allude to sort of future technology or futuristic worlds where just things are a little bit. Like the dog-based horror movie, Man's Best Friend. Cyborg dog goes crazy. <laughs> We're not talking about a street mud here. We are talking about a million dollar research. I do love that movie. It hasn't held up as well as you you might think. One of the things about Saw, though, which is our our topic for the week, is that it does have technology in it. Like there's a thumb drive that has Jigsaw or Pigface's messages to the police. One of the the victims is wearing a Fitbit. There's a lot of surveillance and cameras everywhere. But at the end of the day, at the core of the Saw movies is this fear, in my opinion, of 20th century technology. The machines that are used to torture people are always these kind of industrial machines and they are abandoned by society. Do you think that these movies are, in a sense, kind of the 20th century coming back to haunt us? Yeah, the real horror is like (laughs) industrial revolution and factory work. But I think there's something creepy about that. People, I think, are kind of spooked out by things that are just like a little bit out of the, the everyday, like the normal. Like I'm just thinking of like medieval torture machines or like these 18th century factories. Like they're just a little bit removed from today. And so that there's something kind of unsettling about it. You can see the gears, you can see the machinery of it, whereas everything that we own now is a sleek package that is designed for commercial use that you you go and you're like, wow, there's look at the angles on this and look at the beautiful metallic sheen on my laptop. And it's just this wonderful, aesthetically pleasing device as opposed to you know, the machines that uh, Jigsaw uses to kill people, which are like pistons are firing and like it stops and it starts and it's smoking. And it's like seeing the inside of someone's body, I guess. It's very gross to me. Yeah, it is. Well, it's disturbing in that way. I think there's also something about like, you feel like you could stop it or something. Like, I feel like if you saw some sleek machine, there, there'd be nothing. Whereas like, if you see these gears, it's like, oh, if you could just throw a wrench in there or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A literal monkey wrench into the system. I often wonder where uh, the jigsaw killer finds the plans for these machines. Uh, And you think about what you can find on the internet today, on Reddit or on the dark web, you know. You could figure out how to build a nuclear bomb (laughs) if you just, like, downloaded the right PDF. Is that scary to you? Yeah, I guess, like, my opinion on that is, like, it's almost less scary because it's so overt. Like, the concept of 3D pinching a gun, like, people do that. People are, like, activists in that space. Yes, it's terrifying, but it's an expected fear. And at at least personally, like, I like movies that are kind of tap into a slightly unexpected fear, like something that is normalized in your daily life, like being used in a new and terrifying way, I guess. I mean, it's it's funny with the, the whole like maker movement, you could, you could imagine. I was going to say a very steampunk <laughs> maker movement. That's like, that's where 
that's probably where like the spiral guys get like all the copycats get their uh you know their their knowledge from and they they go to these like weird snm steampunk maker clubs yeah uh, jigsaw enthusiasts uh, on reddit etc etc exactly you've written a lot about how modern technology is kind of eroded the existence of private spaces and horror is is really about villains invading private spaces and we need private spaces to be truly scared do you think horror can still make that scary that idea of the personal invasion scary if it's something that happens to the average person every day one i think that you can create a world with different levels of private experience and two i think it's like sort of like we're talking about with Invisible Man, where it's about your private space. Like you can feel very alone in a crowd, right? Or you can feel you can feel this individual fear. I think there's a lot of horror movie scenes where you see sort of like the protagonist like running through the streets or a crowd or something, right? And like everybody else is just kind of going about their day. And maybe it's a commentary on how we don't care about our fellow people. I do think the internet is also moving towards more private spaces. So maybe that's a fertile ground for horror. There's just more people moving into like Facebook groups, Discord communities, things like that, where I guess you can be terrified. There's also like this idea of the private spaces that kind of like play a role. Like, you know, there's all these movies where like people are killing, I'm thinking of Unfriended, but also there's like, it's kind of a trope in other ones too, where it's like, you know, somebody's being killed for this community on the dark web to watch or something. So I think you can see kind of the way that toxic private spaces can wield a terrible influence on the world. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think of the internet as a public forum, but you're right. People are starting to carve out their little tribes and their and their spaces away from the rest of us. And, you know, it wasn't possible to do that to the scale that we can do it now. You know, if it's a hate group, you know, getting together on a Facebook forum or something, that wasn't possible. You'd have to meet in person. You'd have to like go to the trouble of outing yourself in that way. And now, you know, you really can just exist in this parallel universe. I wish a lot of that was more expressed in horror. That's what I think horror has not done is like, they're very focused on the physical technology and, you know, it's like the haunted phone or the haunted webcam. Haunted spreadsheet? Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's less about sort of the experience of being online. And I think that will kind of evolve. Like, I think there's just going to be more people that kind of understand innately that experience. Like, what's scary is kind of losing yourself to a crowd and sort of losing touch with the world or obviously being attacked. But there's a loneliness and an emptiness, I think, that comes with being online too much. And I don't know that horror has really captured that yet. Well, last question. Let's try to play a Saw-esque hypothetical game, shall we? You are tied to the tracks of the New York subway. The G-Trade is on its way. The only way to release yourself from your restraints is to post cringe on Maine. What do you do? <laughs> you did the voice really well. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry, Joda. Looks like I'm the new Jigsaw now. Taylor, what do you do? Uh, I post a lot of cringe on Maine, I would say, on a daily basis. So that's, I do it. I post. Oh, boy. I couldn't do it. My reputation is more important than my life. I got to leave a beautiful corpse that has so many uh, engagements every day on my Twitter. I can't embarrass myself that way. Let me die. Run over me with a subway trade. It's fine. Jonah, what would you do? When you guys said cringe on Maine, I thought that might have been like a donut place on a street. I wasn't sure what that meant. 
That's how disconnected I feel. <laughs> have you been to cringe? Have you been to Cringe on Main? No, I, I've been to the uh, uh, Fifth Avenue location. Is Cringe on Main better than Cringe on Fifth? Oh yeah, of course. That's the original Cringe. Oh okay, so yeah, because they have that extra uh, cream-filled one. That's better, they right? Have a special yeah. menu, yes, because it's the original. Also, just the waitstaff is better. They're just nicer. Yes, but they're cursed donuts. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. This was a, a fantastic conversation that occurred entirely on the internet. Uh, we have never met, and yet we here we are connecting through Zoom. It's a wonderful thing, the internet, in my opinion. Jonah, I don't know if you agree, but Taylor and I are on the side of technology being beautiful. Listen, as one of the stars of Hulu's Into the Dark's Puka Lives, the sequel to Puka, which is uh, literally about the idea that the internet created a monster through memes and manifestations, I can go along and say, I too agree. And if you agree with all three of us, check out Puka Lives on Hulu. <laughs> there you go. Jonah is very good in the movie. You should watch it for sure. Taylor, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the internet? Because they will start trying to find you after this. Please find me and send me all your best horror recommendations. I watch three to five horror movies a week, so I will watch anything. Might I recommend Puka Lives available on... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Taylor Lorenz everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You can find me. Each week, we wrap up the show with a galaxy brain take from one of our listeners. Here's one now. All right, here is my galaxy brain take on Spiral, the book of Saw. This is not actually a movie in the Saw franchise. It is instead the sequel to Osmosis Jones. Chris Rock plays essentially the same character. He's a police officer dealing with unknown enemies and forces. I would also argue that the Osmosis Jones is a more horrifying movie than Saw because instead of seeing tongue ripping, we have to see the inside of Bill Murray's mouth. So, Spiral, Book of Osmosis Jones. That's my galaxy brain take. Wow. Wow, I haven't thought about Osmosis Jones in quite a while. I have. I, I was also terrified by the inside of Bill Murray's mouth. Have you seen all the fillings that man has? <laughs> it was of a time, Dave. It was of a time. Here's the thing. I don't think it's a sequel to Osmosis Jones. I would believe that it was the prequel to Osmosis Jones. Uh, and that is because in the next Spiral, Spiral 2, one of the Rube Goldberg machines actually is so technologically advanced that it ends up zapping Chris Rock's character, Zeke, and making him a very tiny person inside of Bill Murray. Uh, and then he just, what does he do in his new life inside Bill Murray? The same thing he did in his life. He becomes a cop. And therefore, I think it is a prequel and not a sequel to Osmosis Jones. I think it's a live action reboot <laughs> where they take the basic idea and they make it live action like next week's episode about Cruella it's the same thing if you want to call in and tell us about your galaxy brain takes about Cruella our number is 213-570-8069 and is also listed in our show notes give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take just please make it weird <laughs> That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Our show has truly gone to the dogs, but so will Emma Stone. Next week, we're putting our finest furs to talk about Disney's 101 Dalmatians prequel, Cruella. Our show has truly gone to the dogs, but so will Emma Stone. Boy, Jonah, you... Hey, you bastard. You wrote it. I just say it, okay? I'm sure I put a lot of stink on it to make sure you knew how I felt about it. It's like Shakespeare coming out of your mouth. At two, Dave... 
Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautham Shrikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant and Russ Frushdick is a director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melnizek who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Dave's stupid friend. Dave! I gotcha. Gotcha. See, I have the power. I have the pin. I can do anything. Take us home, Sammy Jackson. You want to play games, motherfucker? 